Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. And welcome to this. It is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby. doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. This is Podcast 2, which you'll find in your stream. Podcast 1 was all about the international rugby, so if you want to listen to that, go back, find it. It was brilliant, wasn't it, boys? Fantastic, GB. As, as always, I might add. Ah, thank you, thank you. Ex- exceptional. Ah, and Tim, ill Tim, sickly Tim. Sickly Tim, still down the line. Are you feeling any better since our last podcast, Tim? Um, not feeling great. I'll be perfectly honest. Um, oh dear. But that's fine. Not sure. Not sure what the. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a disease of unspecified origin. Oh or, dear, or you what, do sound but, rough. Um, but yeah, no, I well, still sound rough as I did on the last mm-hmm. podcast. Absolutely, yes. Uh, well. Um, we are going to be joined today by a grassroots podcaster. So I think I'm just going to let him into the podcast immediately, if you don't mind, boys. Absolutely. Here he, here he comes. Jim Hamilton. Can you hear us? Oh, there he is. Well, how are we? Have you, uh, got, have uh, you got me? Yes, we have. Look at that. Wolfpack lager behind him. Where, where, where's that controversial? Depends who it is. Where's that, Jim? Is that is that the west wing of your house or which wing is it? This this is this is where I record the podcast from actually, but I just turn it around, put a bit of soundproofing up. But it's a crap one, so I don't probably need to do that. But look how light it is in Scotland. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't get dark. But Tim, you're north. Well, you're both north, aren't you? We are. But basically, I'm I'm, I'm, da- I'm down in Kent at the minute. But yeah, I just want to ask JB and Phil how it feels to be. Uh, podcasting with a professional broadcaster now well i i think well i mean <laughs> we're obviously with tim week in week out so you know we're not um affected so much by the um stardust that, that he brings but again this is our uh, this is our at- attempt to reach out to grassroots podcasting uh people like jim and just spread the word so jim what's going on with you you've you've you've, you've got something else going on now right oh i have on the grassroots thing that is the masses so i'm quite happy to be in that echelon of podcasting, which is uh, men of the people, as we like to say. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously I've been doing the rugby pod now. I think we've been chatting over recent years for the last six, maybe seven years it's been. Yeah. Well, it's definitely been six, and so maybe we're going to the seventh season. And then Spotify have just commissioned a spin-off as well called, hey, it's a good name, wait for it. Go on. The Big Jim Show. So I've been doing that as well. Uh, a few kind of one-on-one interviews. Had Luke Pierce the other week. Uh, Scott Robertson's up next. I was in New York doing Marco Massotti. So oh, awesome. Any, yeah, so any grassroots lovers and listeners out there, 
it's just on the rugby pod stuff. Are you allowed to, we're allowed to, I think we should be able to cross pollinate. 100%, 100%. Podcasts. Yeah. And, and we should. It, it must be great for you not to have Goody holding you back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't tell him that. He'll be hating that. You know, like, look, you know, what me and Goody have done and whether or not it's through fault or design, I don't know. We've, we've managed to build up a bit of an ecosystem of rugby lovers that probably understand you, you know what we do on our show is we don't take ourselves too seriously but I think with you know what was it with Spider-Man's uncle or his dad said with great power becomes great responsibility mm. and I feel that recently in recent years I, I feel that in terms of like what you put out there on social media or what you say uh, sometimes you know you, you've got to be a little bit more careful but I think the romance in what we do but also JB I know me and you go back and forth a little bit on voice notes and stuff like that which is the way people communicate now is when you say things or, you know, you do a podcast and that, you're not always going to get things right. You you know, things no. change and evolve over time. And there's nothing wrong with that either. And yeah. we're obviously in a weird situation with things at the minute for a number of reasons this week. And I don't know how far you want to go into different things, but it's probably one of the most glaringly obvious is at the end of a long season, Northern Hemisphere, if we talk about that, with everything that's happened at the weekend, with the news around Ryan Jones, with the interactions on social media, with that stuff with Eddie Jones, it is probably probably a snapshot of where we are not in rugby in life yeah. in 2022. So it's it's a crazy place to be. But look, you're just back to without going on too much about the podcast and stuff. It makes people smile. It makes people laugh. It's informative. You guys are doing the same thing. I think it's important in a game which sometimes can be very difficult to consume. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought up the Ryan Jones uh, story today. Obviously, absolutely tragic. Um, but the reason we reached out to you, Jim, is because, you know, unlike us, you played professionally. And I don't think this concussion thing is going away. I also don't think it's a particularly big issue for amateur players. The amateur game is, broadly speaking, stayed the same for 100 years, and it probably stayed the same for the next 100 too. But where you've been the leaps and improvements and the increases in physicality have been absolutely enormous, probably even from when you started playing to when you finished playing. So how are you thinking about this and how are you worrying about it? Maybe not just for yourself, but you know, for all, for all of your mates that played. Yeah, I mean, I've gone deep into conversation on this, both publicly, privately, you know, at home, and I've had words of myself about it, really. And, you know, we are recording... On a Sunday evening, a lot's happened uh, in terms of social media. It brings things back to like when you read Ryan Jones's article and it brings things back into like when you look at the kind of public interest in it, the public opinion. Not that that factors my feelings, but in terms of the hysteria yeah. caused around it. Listening to Talk Sport last week and Phil Bickery was on there and there was talk about rugby not being played in schools. But you've asked me the question in terms of how I feel about it. You know, I've been pulled through the mill, not poor me. I made an insensitive comment without realising the context around Alex Popham when it initially came out a couple of years ago, saying that we signed up and I put that out on social media. I then had to talk about it on the podcast and apologise and talk about the reasons why. I had a good chat with my mate earlier, uh, Davey Young. Yeah. Not that you've heard of him. He's a rugby agent now, uh, played for Gloucester, played for Scotland Day. And we were talking about it and our tone had changed to how we spoke about it three or four years ago when there was a, oh, we need to toughen up and just get on with it. But I still stick by what I said before is that we agreed to play the game at the highest level. 
I played in games, one that I've spoken about before with Kelly Brown 2011, where he gets knocked out against Argentina. And I'm there stood over him thinking, this ain't good. Like you can see, it's not good. His eyes are in the back of his head. When I was at Saracens, one of my good mates involved in Wolfpack Lager with him now, Alistair Hargreaves, made an, he was a really, really good tackler. But he just took one concussion. And then once he took that one big concussion, any it wasn't even a big tackle, just a, just a tackle. He was getting knocked out. And I'm looking at that thinking, mate, that ain't good. Like that is not good for you. Yeah myself and other players still sign contracts. And I made the decision when I was 34, whilst at Saracens, my body was wrecked, uh, my neck was wrecked. You know, yes, I wasn't suffering from concussions, but I have had concussions. And I had an opportunity to sign a two-year deal with London Irish on a pretty big contract with a testimonial year. And I said to myself at that point, my body's had enough. My body, my mind, mentally and physically... And at that point, you know, I, I decided to retire. But none of this matters because what players are saying now is that had they had the information, things might have been different. And this is where I struggle. Would I, you know, people are saying, would you have changed what you had and the experience? I can't speak for the other lads. Rugby has not only given me a financial well-being that I never had growing up on a council estate in Coventry, it has given me life invaluable lessons that now molded me and have molded me into the father, into the husband and given me not just money. Okay. That is very superficial. It has given me experiences that growing up on a council estate with nothing would never have given me. And for me personally, I would never change that for the world. And I have, and I've said this publicly, my granddad died of dementia four years ago. My nan died of dementia two years ago. It's rife in my family. And that's why I go back to the original question, how I'm, how am I on it? I do obviously worry naturally, but I also understand that this is a contact sport, right? And I knew and know it's a contact sport. And I comment, if I felt that badly on the sport, I wouldn't be still making a living off it now. Mm. But I understand on the other side, if I'm not suffering the things that the likes of Stephen Jones, um, Alex Popham, Michael Lippman, and obviously now Ryan Jones being the higher profile ones. I'm sure there's other people struggling as well. Then if I was suffering with them, maybe my view, well, I imagine my view would be different. And I don't know what the future is going to hold, but all I'm trying to say is, is that I'm in this now as an ex-player. I'm mm. in it in the media. I've got mates who have had to retire because of concussion and it's a difficult thing to talk about. It's really difficult to contextualise and it's an ever-moving uh, scenario. One thing I will say is I think there's too many games. I think there's too yeah. much demand on players yeah. at the highest level and that's something that needs to be looked at. But it, look, it's a contact sport. I was watching UFC last night and if you want brutality, you, you need to go and watch that sport and look at the commercial interest, look at the growth of that from a media standpoint. Look at boxing when the boxing's on. You know, and we're watching Tyson Fury knock out uh, Deontay Wilder or yeah. whoever oh, it is. Not, not only knock him out, um, celebrate when he gets back up. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so I was um, I was at a christening today, which uh, I'm, I confirmed in my mind that they are the, the worst of the family gatherings. Oh, I, awful. I prefer a funeral to a christening. <laughs> anyway. Bar mitzvah, great. Um, <laughs> Uh, but as a result, I was I was chatting to my brother who was, <clears throat> you know, he played 
professionally in the second row like you, Jim. He was one of the more meat grinder players, one of the squad players who never earned big money. And I was chatting to him with this story being fresh in our mind as well. And you could almost, you could transpose exactly what you just said, Jim, in a position where, you know, you went to World Cups and pulled on an international jersey. But you could, you could take that on a, on, a, on a guy who was, you know, squad player um, and, and never got the big contracts because exactly what you say, the, the value added in terms of, well, he, you know, he was over in Canada the other day at uh, Jeb Sinclair's wedding and, um, and, and those friendships that you make in rugby last a lifetime, take you around the world. You, you could go to any city, Jim, I'm sure, in, in the world and you, you'd have someone that you could go and call up and have a beer with. And exactly what you said is, is what he said. And knowing everything, he would take the same risks again. And one thing I kind of resent a little bit is that you're almost... Well, in some people's mind, and as you say, social media is a big part of this, you're not allowed to say that. Yeah. We've seen a massive backlash in the case of Andy Powell, who's basically said the same thing that you've said. And you can disagree, that's fine, but you should be able to say it and I, just I, have that opinion. I don't Especially think, people that have been through it. Yeah, I don't think Andy Powell said anything particularly controversial, really. Um, he, didn't, he, didn't, he certainly didn't say Ryan Jones deserved it, he didn't say anything along those lines. Um, I, I guess the only thing you could say is that all the information was not available to the players when they started their career 15, 20 years ago. But I just don't see there's going to be many 18-year-olds about to start their academy contract are going to go, actually, thanks for the information, I'm out. And that's the thing, and it's, it's a really interesting one, JB and Cocker. Obviously, I know your brother very well, and also on the Big Gym Show without plugging it, but I did an interesting interview with Ben Gulliver, who... Yeah, was in a was in a similar vein to um, Rousey and a lot of my other mates who played most of their career. And I know, and I know your brother jumped in and out of the prem a little bit. Ben Gulliver had a couple of contracts as well. But in terms of finances, we were talking about how much these lads are getting paid, and I think he was on an average of twenty five grand a year. Ben Gulliver was, and we are talking now about player welfare. And we're talking about at the highest level, so where we were exposed to the best medical care, the best transition care coming out of rugby, the best experiences like you've just mentioned there. You know, I've been to World Cups. I've had the euphoria of winning things, whether or not people like that and they feel like they were bought on scandal. That's neither here nor there. I still had them emotions. But with Ben Gulliver, who played all his life at the championship, and, you know, they're the lads really where that need to be asked, I mean, in terms of how they feel about it as well, going into playing the championship every single week, week on week on week on week with lack of physio, they don't have the finances to fall back on, nor these kind of headline experiences. Um, But, you know, it is a really, it's a a hard one to contextualise. And on Andy Powell's tweet, although I'm with you, JB, and I love Powell, I absolutely love him. He hasn't contextualised it. And how can you when you put it in text? Yeah. Like, how, how can you contextualise emotion or whatever? Or and I think that that's the thing. And then he's going to ask about what's the, what should he order from the Chinese because he probably doesn't know how to deal with these yeah. emotions. Because I think it's it's and that's what people are looking at. And hence the twenty twenty two landscape of social media. Yeah, I think the Andy Powell thing comes down to snobbery as much as anything else, which is if you aren't able to express yourself in a suitably sophisticated way, you will have the whole world come down on you. If you can't um, uh, 
replicate what they want to hear, then you're in for a very rough time. And that's just what happened to to An- An- um, Andy Andy Powell today. I'm sure he had a perfectly reasonable tra- train of thought. It just doesn't come out like that on Twitter. But just going back to him, the abuse that he has received for that has been well, it's been staggering. And I know you've been on on, on the end of that too. And it's not abuse for himself being abusive or being you know particularly uh, bad in any way. It's abuse because they don't like what he said, and it's awful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jim, I, I think when you look oh, at, I, I think when, sorry, I was going to say, I just, I think when you look at the the boxing's a really interesting one, and maybe the way that I am, and I'm not going to apologise for being a stereotypical of years gone by man, yeah. an alpha male who likes contact sport. I always loved watching the State of Origin. I loved rugby league back in the day when I used to watch it, boots and all, and everything that was happening around them. I old school when the guys were higher profile. The UFC, I love these sports. Whatever you want to call them, I've seen them being called blood sports, barbaric, gladiators. I have always, and I am, drawn towards them. When I look at boxing and you watch Eddie Hearn promote, I know it's, it's so difficult to compare sports but we're glorifying, commercialising. Every single TV company is vying for the rights to get these big fights. And what do people want in these big fights? They want a knockout. They do. That's all they want to say. Yeah. Because they know that, and if they didn't want a knockout, then they're not going to put it on social media for it to go viral. The UFC promote themselves by the 10 biggest knockouts. Conor McGregor, one of the highest stars, not that you want to put yourself and align yourself with him. <laughs> no. Knockout. Not, but knockouts, and, and that's what it is. Not yeah. that rugby should be that. Absolutely not. But rugby is a collision sport done at high speed. Yeah. And we're all talking, we you know, everyone's talking about how good the Ireland and the All Blacks game was. That game was absolutely, like, barbaric at times, if you can even say barbaric. In terms of the collision, the speed of the breakdowns, uh, the way that p- players are flying into that, and there's obviously headline discussions around that. It's being glorified in Ireland. Yeah. So, you, so one thing we're on social media, and everyone's backing it, and you know the lads are out out of the piss after, and there's these big celebration. They're heroes. They're this. They're that. And then on the flip side, it's just crazy when you think about. On the yeah. flip side, you've got the Ryan Jones thing happening in the background, right? Whilst Ireland uh, on the way back getting absolutely blitzed on an aeroplane somewhere, yeah. like. Yeah. Sorry, I think uh, Phil. Did you have a question then? Yeah, um, it's well, it's it's kind of re-emphasizing the point that you, you've already made, Jim, um, very well. But following on from that, so the point being, um, kind of the deal, people went in eyes wide open and knew the risks, and lots of people would still take that deal today. Yeah. Now, in other sports, there's there's even more stark examples of this, and if you t- just just two, um, world's strongest man and uh, professional wrestling. Oh, Bas- basically, yes. there are there are blokes who want to have their names in lights and potentially be classed as the strongest man in the world, um, or just be in the wrestling scene and will take anabolic steroids for ten years if they know it's going to knock thirty years off their life. Kind kind of deal. That's to me. That's an even more explicit deal hell, about the yeah hell the, of a th- hell of a thirty years though. A hell of a thirty years, particularly in the. Uh, uh, WWE, <laughs> yeah. but the the question is, kind of Jim, when you were, if if we go back at the start of your career, the risks were not as explicit as they are now. I think it's safe to say we we knew less about the potential consequences of um, repeated concussions, certainly in the professional game. 
And given what we know, do you think there's a risk that fewer people will be willing to take that deal or more probably more likely fewer people will be given the chance to take that deal because family members, parents, wives will want them to to not take that deal, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, this is the talking point now, even in the Hamilton household. My wife tells me that, obviously, she's read the Ryan Jones article and my son wants to play rugby because his dad played rugby and because they play rugby at school, right? And he's going to be six foot six and he's going to be aggressive like his dad because that's nature. Mm -hmm. And we have that discussion. And if you were to ask her, although it's given not just me, but her these amazing experience, she is second guessing it because she's scared. Mm -hmm. Do you want to put your kids through that? And again, again, this isn't me hiding behind the question. I do flip flop around it because I think about the experiences of pain that I went through, but it has given me everything. But if your parents who are sitting on the fence or you're watching the game and you've got the opportunity, and I know cricket's a different season to rugby and it normally falls in if you play cricket, you play rugby. That's the kind of the class that rugby's lived in for a while. Mm. You've obviously got football and you've got all these other sports in the UK that you're competing with. I imagine there there is a part where parents won't want their kids to play because of everything that we're seeing now and because how sensationalised things are. And then I'll maybe come back to that point, but the one being about what we knew back then, and this is one of the stories that I mentioned when I was talking about it. I remember I was at Leicester, we played a game against Munster. I mean, it would have been around 2000 and 2002, 2003, when England won the World Cup and Leicester had the likes of Martin Johnson, Ben Kay, Neil Back, the greats. And we played a pre-season game with... Um, Dino is the coach and John Wells and so mm. anyone who knows a bit of rugby history would know that Leicester was good back in them days. Mm. And I remember I went down to uh, dive on the ball and the scrum half, as I went to dive on the ball, literally volleyed me in the side of the head and I'm knocked out on the floor. And back then, this shows you where the thought process was around concussion or players being knocked out. There was a count. One, two, three. And after about 15 seconds, I get to my feet and I'm staggering whoa whoa and then i get back in the line and <laughs> right yeah you know okay I mean? whoa. so that was that back then you were rewarded and you know I, I don't want to name coaches but there's some very 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 high profile coaches that spoke about rewarding players for unless you're dead you get back in the defensive line and you would be valued and you would be judged on your ability to get back in that defensive line and get up and make a repeat hit. You know, I played a game for Gloucester in a big one, LV Cup final against Newcastle. And my old nemesis, Tim Swinson, has hit me as hard as he can hit. His head broke my nose in two places. There's blood spraying out. I'm on the floor, get straight back up, make a repeat hit. And then I'm concussed. I go out with the lads on the night after, you know, I'm all over the place. But... At no point did anyone pull me back or ring me the next day and say, how are you? And then one of my other ones at Gloucester, which I spoke about as well, and I was involved in Scotland, um, I I had concussion for six months. And back then, I was being tested. We thought it was a virus. We put it down to a virus. And my my son was born, and I couldn't even go to the shops to pick his cot and his wardrobe and his buggy because I felt dizzy. I felt dizzy going into a shop 
right? Imagine what I was like at half time playing the game of rugby where I walk in the changing rooms and my vestibular's all out and I'm all over the place and I'm trying to regroup and I'm so this isn't me selling the game, is it? So I'm mm. it's a two it's a two pronged question. My wife sees that and she sees the kind of states that I was in back then. Yeah, no one else could understand that that was the thing. So that's where I'm flip-flopping and I'm going back and forth in terms of like, how, how do I feel about it? Whose fault is that? Because I'll tell you what, it was me who put on the jersey the following week. It was me who was cheating my cog sport test, which was the, the old concussion test back in the day and, and trying to make it worse. And this was the thing. All, I mean, they might not tell you now, but I'm telling you now, us as players used to purposely do the cog test sport slowly so that if we got picked up in the week for a knockout or something as that came back in, it would be easier to pass. Who's that on? Is that on the doctor? Is that on the club? Is that on the people that have put that in place? Or is that on this 24, 25-year-old idiot who just wanted to play the next game? And yes, I was an immature, testosterone-fueled young man. And I don't want to put the blame on guys like Ryan and and Alex and Steve Steve Thompson and, and Michael Lippmann. It's not for me to do that. I'm talking about personal experiences mm-hmm. and accountability. The argument that these players have got and that stuff's going to come out apparently in due course through Sam Peters and some some other people that have been trying to run this story for the last few years is that the, the, at the very top of the ladder, whatever that is, if that's World Rugby, if that's the IRB back then, if this is the unions, they had access to information that they weren't sharing. Now, if that is the case, me personally, I will digest that and then I'll make a calculated decision on how I feel about that mm. and understand whether, I, was it still me who tried to, you know, cheat the system so I could play and I could get my next big contract? And that's the big thing. I've got mates now who are coaches and they're struggling to migrate through because they're having to not give lads contracts because yeah. they've not played. They've not played. And, and, so they've been stood down. And the squeeze in the salary cap as well is going to make this much worse. Mm-hmm. People, people think that... Um, uh, that all the precautions around concussion will somehow solve the problem that lads with a history of concussion won't, will not get jobs. So they will always hire concussions. Simple as that. Would you not think one of the glaringly obvious ones in terms of everything we've seen... Now, don't quote me on this. M- maybe maybe I'm right. L- l- I'm going to back myself. If I'm not, then people can call mm. me out. But wasn't Johnny Sexton concussed in test yes, one I, or two? So, it? yes, I've got a question. Well, well, well yes and no. He failed a HIA. Yes and no. He failed, a, yeah, he failed the first HIA in, on the match day, which is why he wasn't allowed to return to the field. But he passed the subsequent one that evening and the one within 72 hours. Yeah. Okay. So here's a question for you, Jim, okay? And we'll make it the last one about concussions. Um, unless, Sorry, unless you boys have got, got any more. Um we were discussing last week, I think, I certainly was talking about it on Twitter. I get removal of players for an HIA on field because you lack the capacity to make the decision for your own safety after concussion to play on. Get that fully with it. Interesting you mentioned Johnny Sexton. Where do you stand on a player who has been concussed, has a whole week, might have failed his HIA, but, you know... It's the last test against the All Blacks. It's the only time that you might play this game. It might be the World Cup final. It might be a life-changing game. Do you think? Do you think players should have the rights to actually waive, to actually waive that sort of safety protocol? They should, they should be recommended they rest. They could be told that it's not good for them. The coach might drop them for, you know, practical reasons. 
But do you think the player should actually have the final say what they do with their health and if they play? Well, well let's use Johnny Sexton as a specific example. Yeah. Had he failed the one that evening, but then was passed the one 72 hours later, he wouldn't have been allowed to play. But sh- so Yes. Uh, if that were the hypothetical, should Johnny Sexton be given the opportunity at 37 to make history with his team? Well, here's the dark arts. Now, again, this is the joy of podcasting, right? Because we are going back and forth and we're having uh, a conversation amongst people. When this is transcribed, or if it, you know, because you lads are mainstream. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Yeah, it it is transcribed in such a way in which you can read so much different to how it sounds, Mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. So, again, so the people are transcribing this, then good on you, because trying to work out my context in all this. So... Where we're at now, I would say no in answer to your question, JB. But I don't know what goes on within these camps now because when I played, Mm. you would do the return to play as many times as you wanted in terms of to get you to return to play if you wanted. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So we'd go into the room and we'd do the HIA. I can't remember what it was. I was one of the first guys to be brought off by a, a pitch side doctor, um, Joe Marler, uh, forearmed me, and I got taken off to do noodle, boodle, canoodle or something in the changing rooms. And anyway, that's a slightly different story. <laughs> but when I was playing before, you'd go in and have an HIA protocol, and then if you failed it, you had the opportunity to go in again, and then again, and then again. And then again, and you're thinking, well, hang on. Yes. I've failed it two, two or three times. Oh, good. I've passed it on the fourth time. So that answers your question, <laughs> what my thought process, not just mine, not just mine. I think I maybe did one of them, but I know players that did many of them in order to pass. Yeah. So I don't know whether I'm not speaking for Johnny. I've got a good mate in the Island Physio set up. I can maybe ask him the question whether how many t- opportunities did Johnny get to try and pass that? Uh, HIA2. I'm sure it's probably stricter now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, or, or did it's he get three or four chances to try and pass it? It's not even about Johnny. It's about the principle in principle in in general. If you're allowed to make the decision to play the game, I understand why there's safety for you to come off. But I just think if you really want to play that final game, and that's the risk that you want to take, that's the risk that you take. And I think that you should be allowed to take that risk because you know I, I interviewed Matthew Tate. Matthew Tate got to World Cup final, and he lost it. And he never got to that game ever, ever again. I mean, is that is that a price worth paying? I don't know if it is. So, so one one, one last thing on this, um, and it's it's not really on the concussion, but it's it's more of a frustration kind of linked to the linked to the deal and um, selling the game to people, and it's it's a frustration that there's there's so much. If you if you are a non rugby fan, you would only really. The only yes. time rugby is visible to you is when there's this ultra negative stuff going on. Yeah. Whether it's the horrible, horrible concussion cases and the potential links to CT and dementia, whether it's um, Ugo recently te- saying that um, there's a terrible drinking culture, yep. whether it's Harlequins or Premier Rugby telling us we're all homophobic. Yep. And it's, I, I almost feel like we're not, we're we not as exactly, a sport are yeah. not helping ourselves. Like, it's only negative. And I just, it, back to the kind of deal, it's, is how do we how do we get better at selling the game? And, and Tim always talks about the storylines. And if you look at the, the rugby over the last, just the last few weeks, there's been some unbelievable storylines. The, the the All Blacks at Ireland tour with 
Ireland getting hammered in the first game and then coming and, back to, yeah. to beat them twice, historically beat them twice um, and, on all black soil. On, and by the Maori too. And yeah, um, we, but we, that, that won't permeate the consciousness of most non-rugby playing people. Nope. But the Ryan Jones case will. Yeah, that will make it mainstream, but everything else won't. Yeah, and it's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. and it's well, I, and it, yeah. And to, yeah. To your point, it's sort of not acceptable now to go. Oh, check out this massive hit. Oh no! When's the last time you saw? But, but actually, the truth of the matter is, and I'm happy to say this. You know, um, I absolutely love to see someone getting absolutely munched. Yeah, Bri- Brian Lima's be- uh, uh, greatest shots, something like that. <laughs> it, I, I don't. I, for some reason, I feel like. Um, that, well, it shouldn't be an uncontroversial thing to say. You can think that and also have incredible sympathy for yes. Ryan Jones and anyone else who finds himself in that situation. But I think it's a great point, Phil, that um, we sort of, and we've talked about this before, rugby flagellates itself a little bit. And we've got to remember we're a minority sport that's trying to reach out into into new areas. And we're, we're not, yeah, I don't know how we tell that story of rugby. The, the, the thing that we always have done with rugby is tell people that it will um, it will make you a, a great person or you know generally speaking well in our case it will, it will make you a good man and that's what i think about with my son it'll give him values yeah. and you've just got to hope it'll give him resilience yeah. you've got you've got to hope you're as bad at rugby as us three and not as good as jim because <laughs> that's yeah. that's where the that's where the problems happen is it right right at the pro level if jim is terrible hey, jb mate hey jb if you were scottish mate you might have 100 caps yeah so. probably to be fair <laughs> um, don't pretty rapid yourself but but you know what i'm not trying to promote this show that I'm doing, but in a roundabout way, I kind of am because I feel like whether or not it's through design or default, or whether or not maybe I'm just pumping up my own at my own tires, or the guys at the Rugby Pod are giving me that platform to do it. But I feel as if what you're saying is there's an opportunity, but also a need to try and grow the game mm. in terms of like why play the game, show me the characters, is it commercially viable? Like I interviewed Marco Masotti, who's just bought Natal Sharks and uh, you know he's, he's investing in Saracens he's talking about the growth of the game in America maybe not now after they just got beat by Chile and yeah I, I, but I'm going to also interview doctors I'm, I've interviewed Ben Gulliver Kelly Brown Drew Mitchell some of the top coaches to find out actually does this game have a future like is there something wider than what we're seeing or what we're feeling now but I think it, it, to your point that's if you look at everything it's the same Mm. Like genuinely, like I don't know whether you get a sense of it the, the time that we're in, and if we're consuming rugby how we do, and it's across all these different platforms and different channels, and we don't know where we're going to get it. And the only way that you're getting it is on social media, or uh, I was going to say clickbait headlines. The ones around Ryan Jones aren't clickbait; they're they're big, yeah, sensational yeah. headlines. They, do you know what I mean? So if that's the only way that you're consuming the game of rugby is that way, and not actually watching the island. Um, all Blacks game uh, and, and understanding the kind of enormity of that win or you're not watching Emiliano Buffelli just fluking a, a, a score in the corner against Scotland to win them the test <laughs> where the atmosphere was uh, was unbelievable but it is a, it's such a poignant question because if you look at it on a snapshot it feels that rugby is on its knees or even on its back because we're dealing with all the commercial problems that we've got we're dealing with player welfare we're dealing with the salary cap issues if you look at the premiership Obviously, the URC is very different, unless you're South Africa teams, where there's this thought that there's there's a, a there's no salary cap there, but apparently it's three point six marker. So, but anyway, mm. you've got all these things going into the mix, but the headline thing being how 
unsafe the sport is, you do wonder where the sustainability is, right? You do yeah. think, right, well, how is it sustainable, but also to grow? Like, how is it going to grow? And I think that that is I, what I, I'm trying yeah. to, to help with in terms of having conversations yeah. and also having an open forum. Yeah, And, and the, the people in rugby are the, the biggest selling point. So I think that's great because, again, how many other sports do you get, you know, uh, videos of uh, Peter Armani staggering down the street, <laughs> desperate to go and join him with a little Irish fan. That, that was alcohol, right? <laughs> just, but, just right, Ugo be raging. Ugo will be absolutely <laughs> shit. <laughs> but we are the, the people uh, that, that we have in the game at all levels. The, the people in every local club, but the, the fact that the you could you could, any of us and anyone listening could have a beer with a, a professional and a, an elite player, and they'd find them relatable, charming engaging it's uh, that, different that's to what, what they thought yeah. different 100%. to what they thought on the pitch 100%. and i think 100%. you know we are and, and there's an element of we, we are losing that because of the social media influence and because you know it was great to see omani um out on the pitch with his with the lads and with the fans but there's also an element of me like oh, you know this could go horribly wrong mm. and i think again it <laughs> yeah. goes back to i've got a bugbear at the minute even though that i live my life on social media trying to kind of have these discussions and put out opinions sometimes i'm wrong sometimes i'm right but that's the issue that we've got we, we love to see it but you wonder if you know where could that go if he you know says something wrong like i'll just leave you with this like freddie burns went on instagram live after he won the final and then he mm. brings in ollie chesby brings in some of the lads coming on there and he's in his pants and stuff and i'm like mate like, I love it. I love to see it, but the only way is down. Like as much as this is part of like the, the you know of bringing people in, there's a part of me, Freddie, that I'm worried that this is just going to go wrong. Yeah, because you're as high as it gets, but the world that we're in at the minute, it just I just feel like that kind of access. Watching Omani on the piss in New Zealand with the lads, and you know. I'm waiting for someone to say, "Who does Bundyaki think he is stealing that piece of chicken?" <laughs> you know? Just um. Yeah, well, hang on. Actually, when you were just talking then about social media and the access that, that we get, I thought I'd just bring in a different topic completely, if you don't mind. Did you see the Eddie Jones um, reaction to a fan this week? Two fans. Two fans, was I, it? Well, did you do it twice? I've seen two different videos, yes. Uh, in different parts of the stadium, it looked like. Yeah. Well, did you see us, Jim? Yeah, I did, yeah. And I, I thought-provoked a tweet this morning about it that went a little bit viral. I Ooh. say viral. Uh, what did it have? Yeah, I suppose. 3,000 likes, 135 retweets, and 170-odd comments. What was it? And I just said... What was it? Gone? Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you what it says. So it says, just off the back of the Eddie Jones video, I've seen a huge shift in rugby fans over the last few oh, years, yes. swearing, abusing referees during the match, abuse on Twitter... Rugby values and all that shite is gone. Values any walk of life seems to have gone to 2022, and it's sad. That wasn't specifically based on the comments made to Eddie Jones, which I didn't think were that bad, right? Yeah, it's a bit that, of banter, isn't it? Like, as in, it was a bit of banter, but I think it was in the lead up to that, as in, like, I think what we didn't see from what I'm hearing from people on the ground is that he was effing and blinding. He was just a... Do you know what I mean? And that's having had experience of that personally, but also watching a Scotland game with my kids and stuff, just in the stand with the masses, man of the people, and this guy, and we're in the nosebleed seats and can't see anything. He's effing and blinding the ref. 
And it just made me think that there's definitely been a shift. So yeah. I know Eddie Jones's stuff has gone viral, and, and I love the fact that he came back at Gordson. So I'm a bit torn on this because I don't remember Eddie Jones being this brave at Oxford Road Station. He's much braver with uh, security. <laughs> Uh, stadium security than he is uh, with um, British Rail security. Well, I thought this well, would. Yeah. I thought this would um, endear you to him. Well, it would have if he'd have stood up to those three. You know, um, but this, Glaswe- this is- mind you, three Glaswegians are far more terrifying than. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, JB, you said it, mate, not me. So you've got Glaswegians if they were Glaswegian, but I mean, this Australian lad is like, you know, I don't think he'd have anything on three Glaswegian lads to be honest, but. Mm-hmm. I like to, I like seeing a bit of fire for Eddie Jones. It's, I think it's important that you know we do see a bit of that, but it's the horror of people with, out with their phones again, isn't it, and videoing and getting a snapshot with no context. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And I, just how refreshing is it just to sort of tie all the stuff we were talking about before and now together? How refreshing is it? And this is why I love podcasting, as you already talked about, Jim. Is that if anyone wants any context to any individual quote? that you could take out of this and put in a certain context. You've got a full back and forth. People might even change their mind over the course of a conversation and you can hear that unfold. Whereas when you condense to 12 second videos and 240 character tweets, it's just, um, people will just go on there and, and put the worst possible motives you can think of onto people. Exactly like the Ryan Jones stuff. I said we would finish with that, but the grandstanding today around... Um, around the announcement was absolutely horrendous. Uh, you had uh, there, there was one guy who is a podcaster type person who said that he would never play rugby for um, Andy Powell, which is one hell of a threat, <laughs> isn't it? There's another guy who said, uh, "Never tell me the game's ga- game's gone game's gone soft game's gone soft again." I don't want to hear it. I was like, "It's not about you. It's not about any of you." But yeah, the grandstanding was uh, pretty uh, poor. Phil, you were just about to say something, mate, and I interrupted you. I think. I, I was it no? It was just on the the Eddie Jones thing because I think that would have. Oh, I was. I'm surprised it's not uh, endeared him more to JB because it, it's very reminiscent. <laughs> so JB on the podcast or um, equivalent with Eddie Jones when he's got stadium security around him, yeah, loves talking the big. But then when he finds himself uh, fronting up against uh, former Quinns back row and Samoa back row, <laughs> far, far <laughs> yeah. And he's not got the stadium security and he's outside Manchester Oxford Road Station with three Glaswegians. Yeah. He immediately backs down. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of tackling Farsavalu. I'm, 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 I'm uh, open to saying that. I, t- I tell you who wouldn't have backed down to those three, three Glaswegians. Steve Diamond. <laughs> he would have folded them up into a taxi and, and uh, sent them on their way. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, hey, a lot's happened to Steve Diamond since the sale days. You know, there, there could be a lot of change. You never know. I don't want to say that it has, but he might be a different man now. Being the head honcho at Worcester, you can't. I'm sorry. What, Steve? There is no way that he'll be a different man. He, he's very good at camouflaging it, but what's underneath is unbelief. Uh, what is underneath is um, um is underneath. Believe you me, and we, and we love him for it. Yeah, <laughs> best guy in rugby, bar none. He'd be one of the hardest men. He's almost like a scaffold. I don't know if he was, but he reminds me of like mates who are scaffolders and I'm, stuff like that. I just, think, just hard. I think he's got. I think he's got a construction business. And not only has he got, not only has he got a construction business. I think he got Dean Schofield to fit to fit his kitchen. That that that's that's where he first met him. <laughs> well, probably that's where he learned to fight as well. Because I imagine the doors all fell off after a day. So 
yeah. Gary Abbott as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Jim, thank you so much for coming on and uh, and giving us your time. Um, so just give it another plug. Tell us where we can find it. Tell tell us how um, how we can listen, who you've got coming up next and all that stuff. Yeah, cool. Yeah, thanks. So obviously I'll do the rugby pod. That still will live on. Uh, Andy Goode and myself, uh, definitely for another year. They'll keep us. But my spin-off, The Big Gym Show, is on the Rugby Pod platforms and it's just one-on-one interviews. So Luke Pearce has gone down quite well, quite an interesting one if you if you want to know about referees, the way they make the yeah. decisions to TMO. I've got Scott Robertson lined up as well. That'll be the latest one out there. Marco Massotti. Um, yeah, I've got a number of guests in the pipeline, so uh, just check it out. Mark and Massotti is a great one. one. Mm. The, the yeah. Rogan of rugby. Look at him go. Look at him go. Hey, I'll, I'll take it. If that if that's the level's right. I mean, actually, that that could get a bit of hate as well. So that might get me cancelled <laughs> on Spotify. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've always loved the rugby pod. Uh, think, think, think that your work's great. And uh, yeah, uh, I hope it goes well, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me again, lads. And stay connected, eh? There's obviously some big topics around and it's great to talk about. Superb. All right, mate, take care. Cheers, Jim. There, there we go, boys. Grassroots podcasting. We really made connections there with, uh, you know, your local rugby podcaster. Fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant. Good, good, and, um, good to uh, raise and, the profile uh, of others. Yeah, yes, it is. It's good, it, it's good to have the balance as well. Like the, the Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's good to be able to give back. Absolutely. Exactly. Ex- exactly right. Using our platform for good. Uh, is there any other off-field issues that we need to discuss today? Ooh. Did anything else happen during the week? Let's just pause the podcast whilst you do that. No, sorry, don't need to pause it. I'll just, while you're thinking of it, I'll, um, while you're thinking of it, I'll just reflect on, on Jim. It's quite interesting. Like, I understand this because he's in the media and has a platform and I'm in the media and, um, JB, do you remember that little period where you and I had a sort of uh, slightly fractious relationship and then you sort of, the penny dropped when you were um, becoming more of a brand in your own right? Oh, yeah. Brand JB. Oh, I kind of, oh, God, yeah, I get that, like, you have to think again um, sometimes before you say stuff, but it's really interesting. Uh, Jim's really open and honest there, but he also has to be very calculated in what he says, and that's just the life with things like Twitter and stuff around at the minute, isn't well, it? Well, I mean, you know, if you work for someone like BT Sport, for instance, which I know you do, um, or Premier Sport, or any of the big big broadcasters, it doesn't matter how big that you are now, I, I think, as a name. If you put, the, you know, the wrong foot forward, you will get canned. And not only will you get canned, it is like the fashionable thing for the broadcasters to do. It's expected to be done. No one is above, 
you know, the um, opinion police. So it's completely understandable. And there's a lot of people that want those jobs. Mm, that is definitely true. Yeah. True that. Um, yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I'm fascinated to hear that Marco Matsotti. I am as well. That's a hell of a guest. Because he's, he's a spiky individual. Um, probably, two, f- f- if you're not in South Africa, two of his most famous uh, things of note will be when he suggested that sail sharks should be re- renamed sail tuna. Wait, by the way, a tuna's far more impressive than a shark anyway. And the, how many tunas are in Manchester Ship Canal? <laughs> very, very well. I mean, several, I guess. I don't I've got no idea. Maybe. Well, I mean, maybe that, not that's many. not a reason, Phil, because how many sharks are in Manchester Ship Canal? Well, that, that's, yeah. That, so, very few tunas, I would imagine, are in the Manchester Ship Canal. <laughs> Same as the number of sharks. Yeah. yeah. So, there's no but, reason to change. But, yeah. There's no, his reasoning behind it was yeah. um, more local fish. But oh, I'm, right, not, yeah. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, now, um, the other that's just a pike. The other thing, yeah, the other thing was when he said he had a team of New York lawyers on standby, ready to defend yeah. Razzy Erasmus but, from World Rugby. By the way, what, what, what deal do you reckon that he pulled them off to go and defend <laughs> Razzy Erasmus? Well, he is, he's one of the few people who actually does have a team of New York lawyers <laughs> yeah, at his yeah. disposal. Um, ne- I, never quite worked out like that, though. I love the fact that New York lawyer is a sign of quality, like Sheffield Steel, or, <laughs> you know, it, it's that brand, isn't it? Glaswegian yeah. ship. Yes, absolutely. Uh, excellent. Well, uh, shall we leave it there then, boys? Or have you got... Yeah. Yeah, let's leave, let's leave it there. Excellent. Well, uh, if you listen to all of this and you're thinking, where's the rugby? Why do they not talk about Wales and talk about Ireland and England? Well, that's because it was on our other podcast. So go back in our feed, listen to that, and uh, hopefully we will see you next week. So from me, Tim and Phil, let the boys play. Let the boys play. I feel you've got to say let the boys play now. It's a thing. Okay. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.